I've been uh, working on, on, on uh, meditating and doing some studies on church and everything else, but it just, uh, I just feel, again, I just feel so, uh, so blessed in my heart to be part of a church. You know, because Christianity, living, being a Christian all by yourself is a, can be very lonely at times. In a world that, uh, I'll say it, the majority of the world don't think like we do and act like we do and don't, you know, process things the way we do. And so it's great to be, and not that we agree on everything either, but anyway, I've, I've always been fascinated with shows like uh, the Antique Road Show. I mean, if you know that. The Antique Roadshow, you know, or the other one that I used to like is Cash in the Attic, you know, and all these, all those kind of, uh, uh, all those kind of uh, shows and uh, Pawn Stars, saying it right, you know, what I'm talking about. Uh, at, at once in a while, <laughs> I knew Rusty would say something about that. I really did, but you know, it's it's. It's fascinating, but every once in a while, these people come up with their prized possession, something that they've held dear, been passed down through, through generations, and, and, and you know, something that they've cherished, and they think it's, they think it's worth a lot of money, right? Yeah. Only to find out when they take it there that it's, it's a fake. It's not real, and uh, I was just... A couple of days back, we, uh, we were watching uh, a video, and all, it was compiling a compilation of the fakes that were brought in, the most famous fakes that were brought into this, the Vegas Pawn Stars uh, store. And, and it's kind of, kind of, you feel bad. I feel bad for some of those people, you know, because they've had this for so many years that they thought was from... 1817, only to find out it's a reproduction that was from 1920 or 1950. You know, and their faces dropped, and one of them was this, uh, with this huge tusk of ivory with, uh, you know, finely decorated and engraved and everything else, and that person said, no, it's not, it's just regular teeth and plastic, and this person paid a lot of money for it. Nobody likes a fake, and I, 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 like I said, I empathize, and I feel so bad because these people are so upset. You can see how visibly upset, and some people, of course, uh, literally go outside and throw that thing in the trash, you know, because it's not worth it. But nobody likes a fake, right? It's pretty simple. Nobody likes fake because people like authentic. People like authentic, and, and in the next few weeks, I want to talk on, and, and share about authentic Christianity. In terms of, uh, if you want to put it, identifying marks or markers of authentic Christianity. I mean, we know we have the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's a good identifier, hope, love. You know, we, we, those are good identifying marks of what a Christian should look like. Authentic Christianity should look like, and I'd really engage, uh, encourage you to, to engage with these, and, and whether you're in person or online or listening to, to, to it later, I want to challenge you to live authentic Christian lives and to look for what authentic Christianity is all about. Because yeah. like it or not, in this world, we're all about the show. But the show really doesn't, you know, the outside appearances really don't equate to authentic Christianity. Amen. And it just challenged me. Uh, on Friday, I was talking to a young man who, who's going through such a hard time. And, and, and I say young, he's close to 30 probably. He, I guess it's young. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> I don't know. This, he's going through such a hard time and I spent couple of hours with him because he's been a Christian has the call of God in his life but something's happened he made some bad choices and he thinks it's the end and I encourage him no it's not the end because somehow we confuse authentic Christianity with perfect Christianity 
not going to talk about perfect Christians because they will never be perfect Christians. We're talking about authentic Christians. Amen. With all the faults, with all the failures, with everything. But identifying authentic Christians. So that's a challenge to engage with it and, 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 and look for some identifying marks and uh, talking about being authentic, real Christians. Anyway, I was going to start on faith, you know, because that's a sign of authentic Christianity. And I was reading through the book of Hebrews and I was going to share on Hebrews 11, you know, the book of the chapter on faith, the hall of fame and everything else. And I've worked on it on Friday evening and into the night and I was almost done. But for whatever reason, you know, you read Hebrews and after Hebrews, you read James normally. And James is a short book and you just, I read the whole thing and whatever. Something got me, but I didn't pay much attention to it. And then last night, after I had almost finished my sermon, I'll be honest, right? I, I was close to 80 to 90% last night. And, and again, it popped back into my head. And I, actually, it, it started with something that you shared on Wednesday again. And it came back to my mind because he talked about Jonah and being impulsive. Authentic Christianity and being impulsive don't go together. You know what I'm talking about? And something, it's, it's what you shared and it just... Kept going back and forth in my, in my mind. Because what's the opposite of impulsive? Self? Self-control. That's mentioned in where? Galatians? Galatians 5. And so I circled back around in my head to the, the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm, thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, this is fruit. And I'm trying my best not to run down a rabbit trail. Because it happens sometimes. And you're preparing a message and you see something else that you really like. And you want to write down stuff about that. But anyway... Again, I don't know, I don't want to blame the Holy Spirit or anything of that sort. But you think about the fruit, fruit doesn't just happen. Fruit doesn't just happen. It's a process. The seed that is planted doesn't bear fruit the next day. There's a process and, and the seed grows into a tree and when it keeps growing, it then produces fruit. That's the truth. Because the key word is growth. The Bible wants us to produce fruit, but we are not going to produce fruit unless we're willing to grow. Amen. So I've got to ask a couple of questions. What does spiritual growth look like? And uh, I'll share with you in a little while where I was going with this. But what does spiritual growth look like to you? Second question, if I were to ask you to write down how have you grown in your spiritual life this past year? What would you write down? What would you write down? And I took time to think about that. How have you grown in your spiritual life this past year? And lastly, of course, the common question is, are you willing to grow? Are you willing to grow? And anyway, my mind is racing through these thoughts. And, you know, and then I just read James and... And, you know, I was writing a sermon on faith. And then, anyway, prayed about it. And I just, you know, God, what do you want me to do? At that moment, it's 11.30 at night. I'm like, what do you want me to do? So what do I do? I go, my old sermons, I file in a milk crate. Okay? And then, so I'm going digging through milk crate on my portion on spiritual growth. Because I have a section on where we talk about spiritual growth. Anyway, spiritual growth came to James. And I was like, okay, I got to share Share this again. I have to share this again because we need to have a desire to grow spiritually. Doesn't matter if you've been a Christian one year, you've been a Christian 60 years. You have to have a desire to grow every single day of your life. Again, it's not something that happens automatically, church. Because I came back to the question, how have I grown in my spiritual walk? Oh, I used to read the Bible 15 minutes, now I read the Bible one hour. Is that growth? Can we equate that to growth? Spiritual growth doesn't happen, church. You have to desire and discipline. Amen. Two things go together. Because I can desire something but not be disciplined enough to work for it. Or I can just be disciplined and do something again and again and again but not have no desire at all. Desire and discipline go together. And anyway, I picked up James uh, yesterday. And again, we know James is 
the hard-hitting, practical book that challenges me every single time and makes me mad. But you're thinking about this broader idea of authentic Christianity, and I want to start with this idea of growth, because James, uh, invariably, every single time I read, it challenges me to evaluate my walk with Christ. Challenges me to evaluate my walk with Christ. Okay, Sid, you've been a Christian for so many years. Now show me. It asks to show me evidence of Christ working in my life. We don't like that part. You know, we want everything to be God. God will do it. God will do it. God will do it. But James says, you show me by your life that Christ is working in your life. The Holy Spirit is working. I mean, I know that's why uh, Martin Luther hated the book of James. But James calls you out, and it's, again, it's a hard thing to preach at, to preach from because many people take it as a personal attack on people. No, it's not. It's God's word. It attacks and challenges me as much as it challenges you at the same time. And allow, allow God to challenge you. The starting part of authentic Christianity is an honest desire to grow. An honest desire to grow. God's will for every single person is to grow and produce fruit. That is God's will for our lives. His will is that we grow spiritually, emotionally, mentally, everywhere possible to live authentic Christian lives. So what does spiritual life growth look like? Of course, we know this already. How long you've been a Christian doesn't guarantee growth spiritually. We know that. That's just just going with some basics here. Spiritual growth and maturity is not determined by how old you are. It has nothing to do with age. We know this. Nothing to do with age. Because we all know people who are old but have not grown at all. I mean, God's ideal hopefully is as you grow older, the wiser you grow. But that doesn't always happen automatically either, does it? Spiritual growth is not dependent on age, of course. Spiritual growth is not dependent on outward appearances. Just because you look mature, just because you look spiritual, doesn't mean you really are spiritual. Because we all know how to play that game. The longer we've been in church, the more we master playing that game too. The way we dress, the way we walk, you know, some people just look spiritual. They look spiritual. And, and you know, when I, I remember this one time I was filling in for a friend of mine who was gone on vacation for almost uh, three to four weeks. And so I was filling in and there were some of these people and it just, you know, you're not supposed to do it. But then you look at some people, you walk in, this is a strange, strange place. I mean, different. First time I've been there. And you look at some people and, you know, and you see them walking in. you got the Bibles and everything. I'm like, man, this person must be really spiritual. And then I got to hit myself. You don't judge based on what the outward appearance look like, right? So just because a person looks spiritual doesn't mean he really is spiritual because outward appearances do not mean anything. Just because you look real spiritual or act spiritual and say spiritual stuff doesn't mean you really are growing in your spiritual walk with God. Your accomplishments, of course, are not evidence of spiritual growth either. Because you can accomplish a lot and earn a lot of money. Success is not determined. Your success does not determine your spiritual growth. Just because you're successful the way the world looks at things, it doesn't mean you are spiritually mature. Always look at these athletes who've made tons of money. Always tons of money, but they make rather poor decisions too. Especially now the almost an epidemic really of famous Christian singers and songwriters, you know. They're famous now, and somehow we equate they're famous, such good spiritual worship leaders. They must be spiritually mature. Yet we've seen so many recently walk away from the faith. So just because you know how to write a really good Christian song doesn't make you spiritually mature. In fact, I've found more and more that a lot, I shouldn't say this, I should say this carefully. Very often, when you really look at some of them, they are spiritually bankrupt, but they know how to say the right things and sing the right things. Yeah. 
That's why I said it's, it's, it's surprising if you, you've been following the number of them who've walked away from the faith. Somehow we, it's our fault. We elevate them because they're such good singers. They have great voices and they have these great songs. Somehow we elevate them that they have some kind of supernatural contact with God and God is inspiring them. And somehow, no, they're spiritually really bankrupt because they don't understand anything about God. They just learn to play the game. Again, I'm, I'm not, I don't mean to sound harsh, but we need to be careful. And of course, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how educated we are either. And I'm not just talking about the 4.0 GPA. I'm talking about memorizing the whole Bible back and front, but still be spiritually very immature. I mean, they may have, I know people who've done great. JBQ and all these L's growing up. Where are they now? They're not even in the faith anymore. And I, again, I challenge my my students, especially at Sagu, the ministry students, he's like, just because you have this knowledge of God doesn't equate it to growth spiritually. I mean, I've, I've shared the testimony about my family being saved by this lady who was almost illiterate, hadn't studied more than two, second or third grade, yet she was the one who was instrumental to bring my whole family to Christ. Your education does not, doesn't really equate to spiritual growth and of course let me put it this way just your knowledge of God growing okay let me put it this way growing in your knowledge of God doesn't automatically mean spiritual growth say this carefully here growing in your knowledge of God and somehow we think just because we know God more it automatically know makes us better worshipers that's not true I know a lot of liberal scholars who know the Bible, have studied the Greek and studied the Hebrew, but they have no real walk with God at all. I mean, I, I promise you, Satan knows more about the Bible than I do. He knows more about God than I do. He's been around a lot longer than me. But that does not automatically equate to spiritual maturity. And somehow we pursue knowledge of God, which is not a bad thing. But if your knowledge doesn't turn your heart into being more like Christ, it really doesn't mean anything. Again, this is something I talk to myself all the time. Just because I know a lot about God doesn't automatically make a believer make me a believer. Spiritual things, doing spiritual things doesn't equate to spiritual growth either. Church attendance doesn't equate to spiritual growth. Paying tithes faithfully doesn't equal spiritual growth. Teaching a Sunday school or kids church doesn't supporting missions. Doing church stuff does not equal spiritual growth, church. It doesn't equal authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity starts from inside with the earnest desire to be more like Christ. That's where it is. It's an earnest desire to be more like Christ and how our attitude needs to be like Christ. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians. Christ-like attitudes. It's not how long you've been a Christian. It's not how long you pray, how loud you sing, how many different tongues you can speak in, right? It's fundamentally this. Are you being transformed into being more like Christ? That's it. This is who I was yesterday, but today I am more like Christ because what I did yesterday, I try my best not to do again with the Holy Spirit's help. How do I handle pressure? thinking about again this is simple stuff here you want to measure spiritual growth ask yourself the question have I grown in the way I handle pressure a mature a spiritually mature, mature Christian is positive under pressure that's why James says what consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops what perseverance and perseverance does what must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Amen. It's that process. That's the growth we're talking about. Spiritual maturity is how is reflected in how we handle pressure, how we handle things, how we handle life when life is unfair to us. How do we handle that? If I handle it the same way I did when I was 20 years old, I've not really grown. I've grown 20 years, but I've not really grown in my spiritual walk with Christ. If I handle it the same way I did when I was 20. Yeah. 
stress out, wound up, shut down, negative, I don't know, grumble, gripe. Talk about how unfair life is. But how do we handle that pressure? We know this already. Christianity is not a religion. It's a lifestyle, right? Amen. It's a lifestyle. It's a choice, a conscious choice we got to make every single day to live like Christ. No matter what's going to happen, I am going to react to the best of my ability with the Holy Spirit's help to react like Christ would. It's a choice patterned after our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Sometimes it is fighting our natural tendencies. Fighting our natural attitude. When things don't go the way I like them to go, how do we react? Still get irritated, frustrated, bent out of shape, whatever. Now again, please understand, getting mad and frustrated, I get mad and frustrated, especially when people make bad choices. I've said this before. When people are making poor choices and they're not willing to even listen to what I have to say, it frustrates me. You know, but I don't write them off. At the same time, I've learned to not allow that to ruin my day. My day. You know what I'm saying? Because we can get so caught up with that. Natural reaction is to just put them in their place. Anyway, I don't dwell in that place for a long time because I know if I dwell on that, I'll become more and more negative towards life, the person, and everything else. Again, I shared with you, when I get mad, I go into my car and yell at God. <laughs> yes, that's it. How it works, it's a, it's, it's a miracle. It works. But understand, spiritual growth is evidence in the way we handle pressure. We don't over, please don't over-spiritualize every situation, but at the same time, how you react is an indicator of spiritual growth, of spiritual maturity. Ask yourself a question. Are you a negative or a positive person? Again, don't use the excuse, this is just who I am. That's just, just such, when people come up to that, I, 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 I tell them automatically, that's evidence that there's too much of you in your life and you need more of Christ. Because when you say, this is just I am, and you resign to the fact that I am petty. Mm-hmm. Resign to the fact that when someone says something, I have to snap, you know? That's who I am. That's evidence that there's too much of you and not Christ in you. Yeah. How you react. James, blessed is the man who perseveres under pressure, the Bible says, because when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life that God has promised to him. Again, please don't confuse perfect Christianity and authentic Christianity. Please. Trials in life. Again, don't use the excuse just who I am. That's just who I am because allow Christ to grow in you. I must die so that Christ is more evident in my life. That's spiritual maturity. Second, how do you know what is growth? Is in my sensitivity towards others. Sensitivity, again, church, these are things we know, but this is something we've got to ask ourselves. Have I grown in my sensitivity to others since the last time I've thought about it? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what James says, that's what Jesus says. A truly mature person always has and is sensitive to others and the needs of others because he's not focused on fulfilling his own or meeting his own needs. Again, don't get me wrong. Yes, you have needs. Yes, you go to fix those needs. But you're not so consumed with that that you forget that there's a whole world out there that also has needs. He understands or she understands their hurts because he's not just interested in self-preservation. You know, I, I, I say this often. Kids, why do they cry and whine so much? I don't know, my kids are extra, I guess. I don't know, but it's because they don't get their way. It's most of the time, it's what? Why can't you share? No, you can't. We're teaching Amara's three. We're trying to teach her desperately, learn how to share. But we can't. As babies, what do we want? What we want. As adults, we learn to share. That's growth, right? Now, in the same sense, let's take it in the Christian, in the Christian world, too. We come to church because we want things, but we don't realize we come here to serve others who have a need as well. It's really, it, it, 
it frustrates me sometimes talking to people who are like, you know, the church is about meeting my needs. I'm like, no, yes, to an extent, yes. As long as they're preaching God's word, there is something for you. You don't get it, that's your problem. But you come to church to learn to serve others more than just serve and meet your needs. That's spiritual growth. Spiritual maturity has this element of growth in your concern for others, genuine concern for others. You're not a snob. You're not trying to, you know, get caught up in trying to put people in their place. Do you really genuinely care for other people is the question. You know, I may win. Paul says I may win all kinds of people to the Lord and, you know, build all these big churches and, you know, pay so much money to support missions. But if I have no love, that means nothing. If I have no love, it means nothing. If we have no genuine love and grow in that genuine love for others, we're not really growing spiritually at all. We are not growing spiritually at all. Again, I know this is a touchy subject because I can't base my life on how others feel. I'm not saying that at all. We can't card people. We can't do that. But at the same time, we need to seek the Holy Spirit that will help us guide us as we encounter people too. Amen. Please, I, I don't know. We don't, I'm not saying you walk around on eggshells, you know. I'm not saying, and this I'm definitely not saying, don't dilute or compromise the truth just because someone's feelings are going to be hurt. Don't do that. But learn to speak the truth in love. Amen. In love. Be sensitive to the needs of others, whether it be spiritual, physical, emotional needs. Don't be, you know, don't be belligerent to have it your way and that's it. My way, that's it. No, you got to think about a spiritually mature person puts others ahead of themselves. That's spiritual maturity. And again, please, like I said, I'm having this conversation with another pastor friend. Uh, you know, if it's just the nice music and the lights and everything else. But if there's no real fruit, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter if the Holy Spirit is only working on Sunday mornings when you come to the altar and not working through the rest of the week, chipping away at the old self so that Christ is revealed in you. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are on Sunday morning. Amen. Allow the Holy Spirit. I'm just so really passionate more about the church and why we exist as a church. Like I said talking to this guy and he, he, he was using he says this we need to allow the spirit to move in the churches more and I'm like hold on you can't just throw a statement out because it sounds cool what does that mean does that only mean coming to the altar like I said coming to the altar and having that experience with God does that mean allowing the spirit to move in the church if the spirit doesn't move as you're driving your car to work every day to chip away you yourself and the things in your life that don't glorify your name that is not you're not allowing the spirit to move. You're just having an emotional high on Sunday morning. I mean, we've got to get this right, especially, you know, kids have youth camp and everything else, and I love those experiences, but there's so much emotion and everything else going on, but there's no transformation in your life that doesn't. That's just wasting your time. We can't make church, oh, let the, we need to allow the spirit to move in church. No, the spirit needs to move. In church, is only two hours. The spirit needs to move the other however many hours in your life. Amen. Allow it to move. Amen. We focus so much on what happens on Sunday morning, and then we, it's just, I don't know. Oh, we want, I want to go to a church which is non-judgmental and everything else. You can go to the bar, and nobody's going to judge you as long as you have the money to pay for whatever you have to we're going to speak the truth in love. That's it. We're just so caught up with cliches and, you know, the music has to be right and the sound has to be right. The smoke machines have to go and everything else. No. Come to read God's word. Study God's word. Allow the word of God to convict, transform your life every single day. That is the spirit really working in your life. Not just having an amazing experience at the altar. Amen. Every single day, allow the spirit of God to move. In your life. I don't know. I just get passionate about that. Because we've lost our way. Because if there's no spiritual high. Then oh the spirit is not moving. No. 
That's you not allowing the Holy Spirit to do its work that it started in your own life. Surrender your heart to Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Sorry, but that's spiritual maturity. If you're only looking for a moment as high and again and again and again on the altar, you're still being a baby Christian and not learning what Christ is all about. What authentic Christianity is all about. Sorry, that's part of my sermon from next week. But, oh well. Another way. Another way to spiritual maturity. If you want to want talk measure spiritual growth is learning. This one fact that James is all about. Controlling my tongue. Good grief. That's a hard one. For me especially. Because I just am so quick all the time to have those one line zingers. You know, come back with all those things and... Have a smart comment or something of that sort. Learning. Thank God for grace. <laughs> Goodness. But that, that's where your message came in, Brother Dan. Jonah does this thing. He just doesn't want to do it. He does it impulsively. He just goes, does his own thing. Runs the other way. Mm-hmm. Spiritual maturity is very anti-impulsive. It's called self-control. Amen. And especially comes when it comes to our tongue. Now, please let me put this. It's not just the word you say. It's the thoughts you think too. Right? You need to discipline that as well. Amen. Impulsive in how we react. A spiritually mature person knows to not just shoot off his tongue, but to control his tongue. Amen. Even though it may be the truth, he knows that there's a time to speak the truth. And there's a way to speak the truth. It's not just to prove. I know some, some people who just are so convinced about the truth, they have to speak it right now so that they can prove that they are right. That's spiritual bragging, not spiritual maturity. Again, we all stumble and in many ways, James says, you know, thank God for his grace. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man. Emphasis is on speaking. And of course, James chapter 3 has all these illustrations about controlling, self-control, tongue control, whatever you want to call it there. Tongue is like a rudder. It's a bit in the horse's mouth. A spark, right? Causes that whole fire. You control a big ship with the rudder. You control the horse, this huge animal, with the tongue. We know what it is. Spiritual maturity, really a good identifying marker of spiritual maturity is learning to be quiet more and talk less. Really. That's a good indicator of spiritual maturity because the tongue has the power of good has the powerful force, the good and evil, to build up or tear down. Don't just be proud about speaking whatever's on your mind, you know. Keep it in your mind. I say this all the time. Just keep it in your mind. Don't speak it. Again, please, I'm not saying stand, don't stand up for the truth. I'm not saying pretend that and don't say anything. I'm not saying that at all. But learn with the Holy Spirit wisdom. Learn wisdom on when to open your mouth. And how to do it in love. You know, I I guess you can ask the question directly. When is your speech or what you're going to say tearing down someone or building someone up? That's it. If we could only stop to think about that rather than to prove a point. Let's think. Am I going to say and what I'm going to say? Is it going to build someone up or tear someone down? You know? Sometimes, yes, we got to tell them the harsh truth so that they'll have that wake-up call. I'm not discounting that, but I'm saying seek God and seek the Holy Spirit and wisdom and how and when to do it. Doesn't matter, again, how long you've been a Christian. If you don't control your tongue, you've missed the point. If anyone considers himself religious yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, James says he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. That's James, that's not me. I spread rumors and, and gossip and slander and half-truths and exaggerate stuff, that's not spiritual maturity. That's just you trying to make yourself look good and someone else look bad. Spiritual maturity is learning how to control your tongue. I told you this book is terrible because it challenges you. A mature person is about building bridges, tearing down walls. We're not going to prevent people from coming to Christ. That doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean I dilute the truth or compromise the truth. I speak and hold unashamedly, unswervingly to the truth. But I make it available so people can find Christ. 
Are we bridge builders? Or is the things we say and the things we do going to break down people, keep people away from knowing Christ? Do I like to argue? Am I contentious? Am I offended easily? Do I get defensive e easily? I don't know, but am I a peacemaker? That's the word I want to use, I guess. Am I a peacemaker, a bridge builder? Because that's spiritual maturity. That's spiritual maturity. I mean, Paul, uh, Paul writes, I mean, I don't know if I was talking to Chandler, I was talking to Sam, one of them, we were talking about how sometimes we glorify, we have this glorified image of the first century church. It's great church. They were the first church, but they had a lot of problems. I mean, every single church had a problem. That's why Paul writes the letters in the first place. And he writes to Corinthians. He's saying, hey, you guys are doing the wrong stuff. You know, y'all are making a big deal about the spiritual gifts without love. That means nothing. He talks about, uh, uh, he talks about the order of worship and everything else. We've been talking about this. But, you know, and then what does he say? Y'all are eating the Lord's table. You don't care about the other person. You know, the rich people are gathering in the front there. Whoever comes first is just eating, not caring about the other people. They had issues too. So don't glorify. We don't need to have a glorified. Yes, we have a good. We take principles from what they did and what Paul says to them or the thing. But don't have this glorified image. But here's the point. In whatever we do, we need to make sure we are ministers of reconciliation because that's what Paul says. Ministers of reconciliation, reconciling who? Man to God. We have to be those agents that bridge the gap, that allow people to come to a knowledge of Christ Jesus. I say, woe to you if you are the reason someone doesn't. You and the way you live your life turns a person away from Christ. Now, I'm not, please understand, I'm not saying, uh, you know, understand where I'm coming from with that. But if a person says, if Christianity is being like so-and-so, I don't want anything to do with Christ, that's a problem. Are you a bridge builder? A spiritual mature person, a spiritual growth shows that you are a bridge builder. You are interested in the salvation of others too. Again, you can't save people. It's God who ultimately saves people. But I will be that light. I'll be that love that people see me, see the reflection of God and God's work in my life. That's what it is. Spiritual growth, and I'll just say the last word is patience. Long-suffering, I guess, is the word. Be patient, Paul, I mean, James says. Be patient until the Lord's coming. Know, as you know, we consider blessed those who persevere. Perseverance, patience, it's all together. The same idea that I'm getting at today. Patient, patiently waiting, and patiently waiting in prayer. Amen. You know, you just don't wait. Yes, you patiently wait in prayer, because as you pray, it gives you the strength to be patient. Be patient until the Lord comes. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its crop. How patient he is for the fall and spring rain. You be patient too. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. Be patient. Be patient, allowing and realizing that while we wait, God is still working on our behalf. Amen. Don't be quick. Spiritually mature person, again, comes back to the point of being impulsive. We don't get an answer for in two days, God, I'm giving you, and we do this. I'm going to wait for two days, and if God doesn't give me an answer, I'm going to do something else. It doesn't always, you don't always have to throw that fleece out. That fleece happened once to Gideon. Yes, it works once in a while, but that's not the only way God works. God, if you want me to do this, let this be wet or let this be dry. We do that in our own way sometimes, but the Lord tells us to be patient and persevere through the struggle, through whatever we're going through. That spiritual growth, that spiritual maturity, being patient through the process and waiting on God in prayer. Amen. Spiritual growth, learning, learning to wait on God. We seek His will, but wait on His timing as well. We seek His will, we earnestly seek and desire His will, but we also wait for His timing. Wait patiently for the Lord. Because that's what spiritual growth is all about.
And of course, the illustration of the farmer just explains that same thing. He waits patiently because he doesn't see that seed doesn't germinate right away. He doesn't see the fruit right away. It's a process of growth. We desire it, but let's discipline ourselves to do it too. With the Holy Spirit's help. Please understand, your best intentions really don't add up to much unless you seek the help of the Holy Spirit. You've got to ask the Holy Spirit to help you with it. And He will help you with it. He will help you with it. Don't rely on a knowledge of God to get your spiritual growth alone. Circling back around. Just because you know more about God doesn't mean you will be a better worshiper. When you know more about God, it ought to drive you to your knees as you worship Him more. Amen. Worship Him more. Patience. Bridge building. A, a ministry of reconciliation. Drawing people to Christ through my life. Mastering, holding, controlling our tongue. Controlling our tongue. Sensitivity. Sensitivity to others. And firstly, it was handling pressure more. Those are good markers of how mature we are. Have we grown in those areas of life? Bow your heads with me this morning, church. It was really, like I said, it was just... Just a simple reminder, church. A simple reminder... That we all need to desire. You know, we all, let me put it this way, we desire, and I think this is more common than not. A lot of people desire growth, but they're not disciplined enough to invest in things that help them grow. Again, it's not all in your strength. It's, in Christ, it's the help of the Holy Spirit that helps in this growth. Coming back to my questions in the beginning. Going from here, what are the areas in your life that you can say, hey, I need to grow in these areas? Be honest, it's just you and God. Or ask your spouse, they'll tell you for sure. What's, what, what really is? What does that growth really, you desire growth, you desire to be more like Christ. What does that really mean? Identify an area in your life. Just don't make it a cliche. It starts with the willingness to grow. It's the willingness to study the word, allow the Holy Spirit to do its work in our lives. understand the balance church on one hand it's not just all about you striving and fighting to do it on your own please it's not going to happen it's you trying but then depending on the Holy Spirit to help you too on the other hand don't just say okay I can do whatever I want to the Holy Spirit's working in my life anyway and I do nothing find that balance church find that balance in between Father God, you know, God, that most of us desire to grow in our walk with you and to grow in our spiritual lives, Lord. To grow, God, and, and to be authentic in our, in our faith. Authentic Christians, Lord.
Lord, as much as I desire it, we pray, Lord, you help me, Lord. As I discipline myself, you help me to grow, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit just do. The Holy Spirit just do its work, His work in our lives. Help us, Lord. Let's all stand to our feet and worship God for a minute, church. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Jesus, we praise you, God. Lord, we desire you a greater revelation of who you are as we read your word. But I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will at the same time work in our hearts, transforming us into being more like Christ. Help us, Lord. Apply your word in our lives, God. Apply the knowledge of Christ that we get, the knowledge of God in our life. Thank you, Jesus. Work in our hearts, Lord. Holy Spirit, work in our lives. Work in this church, God, Lord. Move. 
move and do your work in our lives. Church, encourage you. It's not just the spiritual high we get from the two hours at church. It's the Holy Spirit working the rest of the week in our lives. Being in tune, walking in the Spirit. Thank you, Father. Lord, may we be conscious of Christ that lives in us. May our words, our actions, our our thoughts, Lord, glorify your name. May the way we live our lives draw people, God, to you, God. Not to us, but to you. May our lives reflect, God. Reflect the work you are doing in our lives. God, we desire growth. Help us to grow, Lord. Help us to grow. Show us areas in our life in which we need to grow. Church, be real with God. You're never going to be there, so there's always room for growth. You need to allow the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to show you the areas in which you need to grow. God, I just pray, Lord, that that we will be sensitive to, to your Holy Spirit, to God, and your Spirit that lives in us. We'll be sensitive to that Holy Spirit, to God. Doesn't matter what we're doing, whether we're laying in bed or driving to work or just sitting at the table having dinner. Doesn't matter. Keep our hearts constantly sensitive to the Holy Spirit within us, oh God. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be more like you. That's what we desire, Lord. Thank you, Father, once again, Lord. We praise you. We give you glory, oh God, Lord. As we go from here, Lord God, we pray that your name be glorified in our lives. To you and you alone. Be all glory, all honor, and all praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.